Would you all uh, please pray with me? Almighty God, you are our rock today and tomorrow. You know, we pray as we continue this time of worship that you would fill each and every one of us. That you would calm our fears, our anxieties, and be a steady presence in our lives. Amen. I know this might come as a shock to a lot of you. Um, I, I present myself as a pretty tough guy. I mean, I wear a lot of plaid shirts, leather shoes. I even have facial hair. Um, but there's a few things that can send me into a complete fear-induced panic. One of those things, this one little thing has the potential to make me act like Terry Phillips would at Disney World, like pushing small kids to the ground to get away from it. You could probably blame it on the hundreds of times I've seen uh, one of the three Indiana Jones movies, and I only count three because the fourth one was, was pretty bad. I have a paralyzing fear of snakes. Uh, or it could be because when I was in high school, when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I attended or worked at Boy Scout camps. And one of the first things you learn if you're a Boy Scout or you're a Cub Scout and you're going to the woods is that you want to stay away from poisonous snakes. Uh, because if you get near one, you will die. <laughs> Great. Uh, not only do I have to worry about a fear of snakes, I know I already have, now I have to worry about the fact that I'm going to die if I get within three feet of one. Just ask Allison. Snakes have uh, uh, and the ability, whether in person, like at a zoo where there's like six feet of ballistic glass between you and the snake, or on TV, where it's not even a real snake, to make me have to leave the room. Fear has a way of completely locking us up, chaining us up and preventing, from, preventing us from doing much of anything. Fear of the unknown, uh, fear of what is known, and fear of what we know is coming, they all have the ability to reduce our focus to little more than that one thing. That one thing that we want to avoid at all costs, like my fear of snakes. Uh, when I see one, whether again in person or on TV, all I can think about is that no leg crawling on the ground, good for nothing, worthless piece of creation. That's the only thing that goes through my mind. Uh, this morning's scripture reading was a, was a story of sickness, fear, and healing. Uh, these storylines are played out by three groups of people. Sickness was played out by a naked and homeless man who was running through a graveyard. Fear played by the people within the community that that sick man came from. The same people that chained him up and kept him under guard. And then finally we see uh, compassion and mercy and healing shown through the divine power of Jesus. And so what I want us to do this morning is to explore how these three characters fit into our own lives and our own, our own experiences with sickness and fear. And to quote 
a great American theologian, uh, the doctor, Dennis Perry. Are you all ready? I don't know about you, but when I get sick, uh, even like the smallest cold, uh, all I can do is think about the fact that I'm sick. Uh, setting alarms on my phone to remind me that it's time to take more DayQuil or reminding Allison every time she asks me to do something that I can't do that thing because I'm sick. I usually allow myself to come up with excuse after excuse after excuse as to why I can't do something. The same thing is true with injuries, right? When I was in college, I dislocated my kneecap. And I was going to show you a picture of it on the screen this morning, um, but because I didn't want most of you to lose your breakfast, uh, Allison said it was probably a bad idea. See, I was playing basketball. I love, I love basketball. And it was a freak knee-to-knee collision that sent my kneecap that way and the rest of my leg that way. Um, and once I arrived at the hospital and the doctor put me back together, the stabbing pain that I couldn't get out of my head uh, went down to being a mild irritation. I was immobilized in crutches, really good painkillers, wasn't in pain anymore, but that's still all I could think about was that pain that was in my leg. And after coming home to see a specialist and beginning a regimen of physical therapy three times a week, um, I was making pretty good progress. I showed up three times a week in a what seemed like a double-wide physical therapist slash nail salon, and I would squat, walk, bend, twist alongside those who had had uh, hip replacement, knee replacements, or carpal tunnel surgery. And eventually, I began to regain a lot of the muscle that I had lost in my leg. Eventually, I was able to do that same squatting, twisting, running, bending without any pain at all. And they were all good signs for a full, strong recovery. But by the time I would gotten to the end of my physical therapy and I could do all of those activities with no pain, and you, if you came up and asked me, I would still tell you, that, oh, how are you doing here? Oh, my leg, you know, it's still, it's still bugging me. It was, I got to the point where my injury had consumed my life. It's all I could focus on. And it wasn't even basketball season anymore at that point. We were getting ready to leave for the summer when I should have been focusing on finals and maybe finding a job for the summer. All I could focus on was my knee. Sickness and injury have the ability to paralyze us to the point where we can't focus on anything else. And I don't want you to think that I'm without compassion here uh, for those who are facing illness because that's not really what I'm trying to say. I'm speaking of, to those of us who are currently sick or recovering from illness today. Your injury or illness doesn't define you. You're not chained to that one portion of your life. You know, in our, in our scripture reading this morning, we see a man who had an illness that had consumed every part of his life. He was an outcast from his community, literally living naked in a graveyard. He was already dead if he didn't, didn't realize it. When we allow our injuries and illnesses uh, to place doubt and fear into our lives, we can become chained to the point that we don't even know that we've already been defeated. We place ourselves naked, afraid, and alone in our own, own graveyard. Fear of the unknown, or even the known, has the ability to place chains on us also. Chains that prevent us from responding to situations like we normally would. We're no longer able to function as we once did, and we're no longer able to treat others in a way that we typically would. 
throughout high school and college, I worked as a lifeguard. It was the best summer job anybody could ever ask for because 99% of the time, your job was to put sunscreen on, sit in a chair with the sunglasses where no one could see where you were looking, and just get a really, really good tan. Uh, one summer, I worked at a Cub Scout camp down the road in Haymarket, and some of you might have, have been there. On the first or second day of camp, uh, we would do something called a swim test. Uh, the young scouts and their leaders were all required to jump into a pool and do one of three swim tests to basically determine what aquatic activities they could do that week. Because um, the last thing that I wanted to deal with was a leader who hadn't seen a gym or a body of water in 20 years to jump into the deep end and rely on a fourth grader to save him. Speci uh, the scouts, specifically the fourth graders, um, would respond in one of, of three ways to this, uh, to this test. There were the kids who were obviously bound for the Olympics and would jump in the water, finish with no problem. There were those, and these were my favorites, who had no idea how to swim at all. None whatsoever. But they didn't let it stop them. You would ask them if they knew how to swim. They wouldn't really give you an answer. So you'd tell them, okay, let's give it a shot. They would jump in the water and then sink to the bottom and just look up at you like... What am I supposed to do now? And then the, there were the scouts who, who didn't know how to swim. Uh, they told you they didn't know how to swim, and that as a result of their inability to swim or their fear of the water, that they wanted nothing to do with what you were asking them to do. I always really felt bad for these kids. Uh, as all of us know, August here in Virginia is murderous. And so jumping into uh, a nice brand new swimming pool can be an oasis uh, via water slide. But these kids had gotten to the point where their fears had chained them up and they couldn't see beyond the crystal clear water. And remember, these were just kids. These were kids who would, 10 minutes before coming to see me, would have just crawled out of a dark, muddy hole 15 feet below the ground or chase after a snake, God forbid, without a second thought. And more often than not, and this is the part that really kind of bugged me sometimes. There were adult leaders, grown adults, who would exasperate the problem by either telling the kid they probably wouldn't like the pool anyways, ignore the kid, or the last, belittle the kid. Right there on the pool deck, in front of myself, my staff, and all of their peers. Fear induced by others is something that can seem like an insurmountable mountain. But what happens when the fear of the unknown begins to spread like a, a disease throughout the group? One person's afraid of something, and then their friend becomes afraid, and then their friend becomes afraid. It's just a snowball effect. In verse 29, we see that uh, the, the man, the sick man, was kept under guard and bound by chains and shackles. The possessed man was shown absolutely no compassion by the people of, of his community. They refused to aid him in any way. He was chained up, and when he wasn't chained up, like we told the kids earlier, he was running. We read that he was running naked through the wild. His sickness had taken him to a point where he was unable to care for, care for himself. And rather than showing mercy and compassion, the people of his community acted out of fear for the unknown. Imagine being banished from everything you know because your community is afraid of you. Not because you've done anything wrong, but because you're simply sick. 
You know, it's not a surprise then that the man's illness consumed every, por- every portion of his life. We've seen this type of uh, reaction in Africa uh, as the AIDS ac- epidemic spread in the 90s. And even now as the Ebola epidemic continues. People who contracted these diseases are often either shunned for their communities, told it's their own fault, they have to deal with it, and which leads them to not being able to receive, A, the medical care they need, or even, you know, spiritual care. Jesus' compassion and mercy in this story are out front and center, much like the rest of his ministry. Jesus has no problem walking right up to those who have been outcasts, set to the fringes of their community. He did not let fear keep him from those who needed healing, and he did not let their illness define who they were as children of God. We, uh, in our reading this morning, Jesus entered, who entered into an area outside of Galilee. This same story appears in Mark's Gospel, but Mark refers to this as Jesus crossing to the other side. If you ask any of the high school catechism students I taught last year, they will tell you that whenever you read in, the, in Mark's Gospel or elsewhere in, in the Gospels, well, Jesus going to the other side, you need to pay attention. Something big is about to happen. Because the other side refers to a territory that most Jews would not be caught dead going into, let alone interacting with those people. Whenever we read that Jesus is going to the other side, we know something big is about to happen, and the Jewish readers of Luke's Gospel or Mark's Gospel would know that. Jesus' treatment of the sick man is an example for all of us. He not only heals the man, but tells him to go home, to return to his community, to return to his life. He tells the man that he's no longer sick, no longer should he live as an outcast, and no longer will his illness define him. The man is to return to his previous life, and this man, in fact, becomes one of the first evangelists going out and proclaiming to his community what Jesus has done, how Jesus has healed him. You know, when we do not allow our illness to define us, to define who we are as children of God, we are magnifying God's power and diminishing the power that sickness might have on us. We're able then to live our lives as blessed, loved, and cherished children of God. When we approach our fears, instead of considering the circumstances that have placed this fear into us, whether that being snakes or water, we should consider that the same divine breath that raised Jesus from the dead is that same divine breath that breathe life into each and every one of us. We shouldn't let fear chain us up and keep us from jumping in that deep into the pool that we've been avoiding or didn't want to go near. This is a small disclaimer, though. Seriously, if you can't swim, don't jump into the deep end. Start with swim lessons or something like that. When we act out of mercy, love, and compassion, we are saying that fear, illness, defeat and doubt have no place in this world. If we act out of mercy and love and compassion, we are fulfilling our call as disciples of Christ to live the life that Christ has modeled for us. Christ searched out those who were isolated and kept on the fringes. Even to the point that he descends into hell to recover those who had been lost. 
let us do likewise. Let us live our lives without fear that comes from the unknown, caring for those in need without chaining them or isolating them because of their condition. And let us love with compassion and mercy that outshines the darkest of the days. Amen.